Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Union Podcast. My name is Brian Pugh, and I'm the co-founder of the Union Movement alongside my wife, Bonnie. And we've developed this ministry, this organization, just to help people have clarity uh, from the Bible when it comes to topics of sexuality, identity, marriage, relationships, and really to experience the beauty and freedom of God's design for all these areas. Because believe it or not, uh, God designed sex, and he actually knows how it works best, and he knows how it can bring uh, freedom and the context in which it can bring freedom and joy and peace in our lives. But he also knows uh, the damage that it can be do- that can be done when that design is compromised. Yet we serve a God of redemption, which is why I am so excited about this conversation today, because I sit down with Dr. Daniel Block, and he wrote a book called Covenant, The Framework of God's Plan of Redemption. And as we look into the scriptures today, as we kind of have a really in-depth conversation Uh, Daniel Block pulls from over his 50 years of teaching and preaching the Bible all over the globe and all his work in teaching at high-level universities. And uh, he was actually involved in the production of the New Living Translation Bible, which if they're looking you up to do a Bible translation, you probably know what you're talking about. And there's over 90, I think there's over 90 different theologians that were involved in putting that translation together. So um, honestly, Dr. Daniel... Uh, is an amazingly refreshing, humble man who loves Jesus and loves the Word of God and just so freely uh, shares some principles and truths that are going to help us put our lives in perspective um, to God's plan of redemption and ultimately his His work through Jesus to bring us back to himself. So I encourage you, open up your heart, get your notebook out. This is going to be a great conversation. So I'm going to pass it off um, to Daniel Block as we sit down and discuss his book, Covenant. You're listening to The Union Podcast. The Union exists to bring biblical confidence and clarity to the topics of relationships and sexuality. On this podcast, we unpack the damaging effects of modern sex culture and discuss how to heal from the past and enrich your relationships. Here are your hosts, Brian and Bonnie Pugh. All right, I'm here with Daniel Block, and we are going to be discussing his book, Covenant, the Framework of God's Grand Plan of Redemption. Uh, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us here on the Union Podcast. My pleasure to be with you. Yeah, that's awesome. So we were just talking before how there's a Canadian connection, us being in in British Columbia. Tell us a little bit about your family. Well, uh, I am a farm kid from northern Saskatchewan, number nine of 15 children. Wow. there is no book written about the number nine child. So anything that's weird, I mean, it's all, it's off the charts. In any case, uh, very privileged to grow up in a a godly family, minister's family and farmer. You know, in those days, they were all bivocational. Right, right. And so our roots are up there. Both my wife and I are from up there. And we have a son and a daughter-in-law and two grandkids in Vancouver and lots of relatives in Abbotsford. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Not too far, not too far away from us. That's amazing. Yes. That's amazing. Now, you've had an extensive um, ministry and an extensive function in teaching the scriptures, you know, uh, multiple universities. Tell us about how that journey kind of came about, how you ended up uh, becoming a professor and, and your work at Wheaton College and, and everything. Well, it, it is a long story. And I, I knew before, long before I, I, I became a Christian, I said yes to the grace of God, which is working in my life. Long before that, I knew that the Lord was calling me into ministry. And I mm. resisted that. So wow. from, a, from a little duffer, I knew that. 
When we graduated from Bible College up in Canada, uh, my wife and I thought we were headed for missions, and so we were eager to go. And and but in the meantime, I got a teaching degree and taught for two years up in Prince Albert, and then uh, went off to seminary. And once we got to seminary, then the the life of the study of the scriptures really gripped me. We've always been part of a vibrant, active church and very actively involved and trying to help uh, a person in church planting up in Prince Albert at the time. But uh, the serious study of the scripture became such a joy to me Mm -hmm. that by the time I graduated with the inspiring professors I had, uh, I, I, that's where my passion turned, hmm. and uh, we thought that we would uh, begin by pastoring for a while after we graduated from seminary. Uh, but instead, the door, the Lord opened the door to Winnipeg Bible College, which is now Providence College. Wow! And I spent ten wonderful years there, uh, and uh, that's where I cut my eye teeth. I suppose that's the metaphor <laughs> we used. Right. Uh, be, being a professor and in that kind of modest environment, learning that being a professor is more than standing in front of people yeah, and, wow. and spouting professorial you know, jargon. Right. It, it's about being the pastor before you try and communicate, you know, lofty thoughts about right. that. Right. So, so we were 10 wonderful years a decade up at at Providence in Otterburn, south of uh, Winnipeg, and then off to Bethel Seminary across the border in 1983 to Bethel Seminary, where I had 12 magnificent years. It was a Baptist General Conference school Mm -hmm. uh, at, at the time, and it was a wonderful transition into that world. I spent 10 years at Southern Seminary in Louisville, uh, part of the evangelical resurgence in there. Mm-hmm. And then in 2005, we moved up here to Wheaton College. They had just started a doctoral program here in biblical and theological studies, but they were desperate and were having trouble finding somebody to lead the First Testament side of the program. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't getting off the ground. The New Testament and theology were in good hands, but uh, there was a great deal of uncertainty in this department. And so the Lord led us here. Wow. And it's, it was just a magnificent way to finish almost 50 years of teaching hmm. in, in this wonderful environment. And, you know, our lives have just been one serendipity after another. Nothing wow, wow. that we've done in life is planned. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't plan this out. Everything has caught me by surprise. Wow. And the doors the Lord has opened, whether it's in the academy, mm-hmm. Cambridge, wherever, or whether it's in the churches or in the last few years all over the world, ministering to the churches around the world. Uh, I mean, everything. I feel like... The lizard in the king's palace in Proverbs 30, except that was actually a gecko. 
Right, right. And the, the little creature in the king's palace, and and I've never known what I'm doing, where I'm, where I am, and wondering how did I get here. It's it's, it's just been an amazing, an amazing life, and God has just been such a gracious uh, presence and guide all the way through. What a privilege to serve yeah. Him. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. Thank, thanks so much for sharing that. I think that's so encouraging in this time, probably for so many people that so much is catching us off guard that we are in yeah. uncharted territory. You know, we don't we don't know up from down at times. It can feel that way, especially right. <laughs> emotionally, spiritually. Um, and I think this is why th- this conversation is so important as we start to talk about uh, your book, Covenant, um, because it all comes back to the faithfulness of God, the promises of God that he's made. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so what, what was your passion behind writing covenant? You know, like you've, you've written several other books, um, theological, theological books and textbooks and everything, but why, why covenant? What was the passion behind this? Well, the, the, the passion behind it was I, I, I wanted to share with the world how the scriptures talk to me mm. and they do. Mm-hmm. And it's all the scriptures. And part of my passion, as you may have judged already from my earlier book on worship, was to give back to the church the whole Bible. Wow. Mm-hmm. And to rehitch the New Testament to the First Testament, Absolutely. or is it vice versa? Absolutely. This is all one grand story of redemption. These are not two stories. Mm-hmm. One that didn't work, and yeah. the other one that fixes that. Right. Uh, one was an oops in God's plan, and so He said, "Well, let's go with it." No, 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 no. Yeah. When yeah. the when the New Testament writers were writing, even the shape of the New Testament, the way Matthew opens, mm-hmm. these are the generations of. He is deliberately hooking into the First Testament story. Absolutely. Yeah. So that Jesus is not an alternative story. He is the climax of the whole thing that has that began before the foundations of the world. Mm-hmm. So I love it. <laughs> I love it. I know we were we were joking around just before we hit record, but like how there's this kind of common idea that you know, the first Testament or some people call the old Testament, like is God is angry and is distant and constantly frustrated yet. Yet Jesus is the happy go lucky, just yeah. kind, peaceful, kind of mm-hmm. hippie ish trying to, trying to keep, keep humanity from the bad God, which in yeah. actuality is just like, we're one in the same all, all through here. Well, of course, John one speaks to that. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Yes. Yeah. That is shorthand for what Moses hears at Sinai when the Lord introduces himself, Yahweh, Yahweh, gracious, compassionate, slow Mm -hmm. to anger, abounding in loving kindness, who forgives every kind of sin but doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. Yeah. That's what Jesus is the embodiment. There are seven words there that dis- that God self-defines him or the- that God uses to define himself. Mm-hmm. Only one is the stereotypical view of the First Testament God, and mm-hmm. that is who doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. Right, right. Everything else is totally New Testament. 
Mm-hmm. Well, it's and totally First Testament. Right. We can talk to Jonah about that. Uh, you know, when he goes to Nineveh, what's wrong with God? Right. Yeah. I knew that you are gracious, compassionate, slow to anger about. Yeah. That's what's wrong with his God. And right. so a part of the passion driving this is helping people see that this is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Absolutely. And af- sending his hounds of grace and mercy, or goodness and mercy, Psalm mm-hmm. 23, after us from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, for those who maybe, you know, wouldn't be familiar with the term covenant, um, because it's in modern day language, unless you're in you know, a, a field of biblical scholarship or theological study, you don't really hear that word covenant a whole lot. You hear contract or agreement, everything like that. So for people who might not be familiar with it, how would you define, or more, maybe more importantly, how does the Bible define covenant? Well, um, in the book, I define it something like this. A covenant is a formal procedure by which a new relationship is created, that is, mm-hmm. a relationship that is not natural is created, or a natural relationship that has been broken is restored. Mm-hmm. That's how I define it. And it's in that context, of course, that we realize, for instance, that marriage is a covenant. Yeah, absolutely. My- my wife and I weren't naturally related. Mm-hmm. Through covenant, we agree. I am yours mm-hmm. and you are mine. And this creates the new entity. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the same has, uh, involved, is involved in um, our children. We have two children. Right. I come from a huge family, but we hit a brick wall. And, and so, like many others, we adopted. Mm-hmm. He wasn't naturally ours. And right. trust me, the gene pool in that body is totally different from any of his 80 first cousins. Yeah, right. It right. is very different. We were right. not naturally, but it took a special, formal, legal decision to make him ours. Yeah. Now, yeah. at that time, he was just an infant, so that uh, this is obviously not a covenant of equals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We call it parity covenant. It's a disparity covenant. You know, so we took the initiative and he became ours, but it's covenant. Well, uh, three or four years later, we had our miracle girl. Wow. Everything about her is predictable. Right. She gets all the bad uh, bad characteristics from her father and, of course, all the good ones from her mother. But, but at <laughs> least we've seen all this before. Right, right. We thankfully... God has been so merciful to us as a family. We have never had to make a covenant with her mm-hmm. because this is a natural one that has worked and flourished. Right. And so, but with our son, we made a covenant and then bless the Lord, oh, my soul. He is just an ideal son. Wow. Absolutely. We are so blessed. And, and in God's program of redemption, after our rebellion against him, yeah, at the beginning of our history, mm-hmm. God graciously said, I'm not done with you. Yeah, I'm running after you, and I am going to make provision for you to relate to me 
mm-hmm. in ways that will solve your rebellion problem and your sin problem. Yeah. But will also draw us into a warm relationship with each other. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I what just comes to mind is even right in the garden, right when when Adam and Eve have rebelled and they're hiding in their sin, they're hiding in their shame. Mm. Who who comes looking for them? Right? It was God who came looking for them. Absolutely. And yeah. and they're they're hiding themselves because they can hear God's co- coming, which is the the effect of shame. That's what shame does is try to isolate you. But uh, what I find so amazing, and I think this is just a foreshadowing, and you look at, you know, with the law of first mention, whenever you see something for the first time in scripture, it's very important, especially in in Genesis. But um, Adam and Eve had made coverings for themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Yet here now God says, okay, well, we're going to get rid of those coverings. There's a whole conversation that goes on, but then he sacrifices an animal and makes coverings for them. And and in so doing affirms that. The shame you felt mm-hmm. is appropriate in a fallen world. Yeah. But we've got a covering. Yeah. And so this is how we're going to deal with it. And so uh, that was an act of grace, too. God, yeah. G- God was saying, your impulse is right, but the fig leaves are pathetic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can do better. Yeah, totally. So, Totally. And of yeah. course, and of course, the next chapter, I mean, chapter four, here they're offering sacrifices and God is accepting mm-hmm. some. Yeah. How, how did they figure that one out? Interesting. And my theory is God, in his mercy, as they were getting kicked out of the garden, he must have spoken to them and to reveal to them there is a way that we can yeah. continue to relate. And so you, you have that happening in chapter four. Yeah. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's very interesting. That's a really mm-hmm. great great question mm-hmm. there. Very interesting perspective for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think, and this is this is what's amazing as we now look, kind of looking back towards, um, you know, especially in the New Testament, looking back that it says before the foundations of the world mm-hmm. that God predestined us to be redeemed in Christ. Absolutely. And so that's that's that echoing of of that reality all throughout history is that at the right time Jesus yeah. would get or God would give His Son. Jesus to be to be that sacrificial lamp. You know, for, from our time space perspective, we look upon Jesus as the future event. Mm-hmm. But God lives in the eternal present. Right, right. So that that eternal sacrifice of Christ doesn't mean only that it is effective eternally from now on, but it means that it is the eternal sacrifice of Christ. It was made. It was possible through the rituals that God in his mercy revealed in the First Testament, it mm-hmm. was possible to access the grace of Christ even for those people. Right, right. And so and so that and 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 you know, so that the sacrifices and the rituals that God revealed, these are like light switches. When I flick that switch, I'm not creating light. Mm-hmm. I am just using that gift that has been given to me to connect a bulb right. with a source that can make it light up. Yeah. And that and that's what happens with the sacrifices. These are God's gracious mm-hmm. covenant gifts whereby that covenant relationship can be maintained. That's mm. so good. That's mm-hmm. so awesome. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we're, we're, and you kind of mentioned at the beginning with when you're talking about the passion of behind writing this book, but we're living in a really interesting time. Like we've had some, there's just one person that comes to mind, which I won't name, but like, you know, is a pretty well-known voice that said that like that the old Testament needs to be essentially boiling it down, needs to be separated out of yeah. the canon of scripture. And, and it's, it's so you know, just looking at at the church and just the the wrestle that's going on with truth. Yeah. Why? Like, why would you say that the understanding of covenant and and you and even maybe the like the importance of the the first the first testament the old testament being connected with the, the entirety of scripture? Why do you see that as being so important, especially especially today? Well, uh, there there are many ways we could go with this, but here's one way, and and. And I will now confess my pathology. I read the Bible forwards rather than backwards. Right, right. Well, I actually do both. Yeah. But I read it forwards before I go backwards. Sure. Why is that important? We have a tendency to think that because the New Testament was written in Greek, Mm. the authors were thinking in Greek. Right. Well, if the authors were thinking in Greek, they got the word for covenant wrong. Right, right. If the authors were thinking in Greek, they don't know what to do with the Hebrew word for love, ahav, which they translate as agapao, which you don't find in regular Greek. Interesting. They, without understanding the First Testament background for the vocabulary that gets picked up and developed, in the New Testament, you cannot understand the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And so if we want to know what covenant means in the New Testament, it's absolutely indispensable that you you walk through this thing from the beginning to the climax. Right. And I'm not saying from beginning to end. It's just the climax. I mean, we're we're part of the continuing story. Exactly. Yeah. As his covenant people. But Uh, And the other side of it is we need to remember that to Jesus and the apostles, the first testament was the only Bible they had. Mm -hmm. And they made no effort to flush it. That's true, 100%. In fact, Jesus said, I came not to destroy the Torah or the prophets, Mm -hmm. but to fulfill and every jot and tittle. Yeah. Uh, that means there's nothing there that's irrelevant and nothing in the First Testament that's not my scripture. Right, right. And so the challenge is, of course, we're culturally so far removed from the First Testament, mm-hmm. but then we're also culturally far removed from the New Testament. And yet we that's don't true. make the same argument about, I mean, we're, we're schizophrenic in our argumentation. Yeah. The New Testament was written at a time far closer to the First Testament than to us. Mm -hmm. But so we have no trouble trying to get into the world of the New Testament. uh, But getting into the world of the First Testament, that is, we push back. And I think the basic problem here is we view the First Testament as a document of law. Right as opposed to a document of covenant. Mm-hmm. There's a world of a difference. There's a scholar, a Jewish scholar, actually, who did a study on the difference between a society based on law 
and a society based on covenant. Mm. And when you look at the worlds that those two concepts create, they're totally different. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we're a suburb of Chicago here. Chicago's right. got lots of problems. Right, yeah. What's the big problem? Covenant. Interesting. That's the big problem. But in a society based on law, what you do to fix problems is just pass more laws. Right. Right. And you don't deal with the fundamental issues. In fact, you can't introduce them into the conversation. No, exactly. The problem downtown is not they don't have enough money. They don't have enough education. They don't have a, the, the problem is they don't know Jesus and their hearts haven't been turned inside out. Exactly. Yeah. And until that happens, it won't work. But if that happens, it mm-hmm. works even without laws. Yeah, exactly. And okay. and, and of course, Jesus, wasn't he brilliant? Yeah. <laughs> he, was a, he was able to reduce the whole business to one simple statement. And this yeah. is a totally, what I call, a covenantal ethic that he's after. Mm-hmm. What's the great command? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your inner being, with all your person, and with all your resources. I think that's how we need to interpret that. Sure. And and you do the same for your neighbor. Yeah. And if we lived that way with that covenantal ethic, we could cut our legal schools faculties in half mm-hmm. or three quarters, our libraries in half and and and, right. and and the business of getting on with life. I mean, uh, we used to live in a community like that where everybody looked after each other. Right. And when I was growing up, my mother taught me the acronym. I mean, she didn't, her mother language isn't English, but she was, uh, you know, she grew, uh, grew up in an Eng- English world. But joy, Jesus, others, and you, and it has to be in that order. Hmm. We've got this thing totally upside down. <laughs> the world doesn't revolve around Jesus or around others. It revolves around me. Yeah. And, and we are a, a culture of parasites, narcissistic parasites. Wow. And in that world, the only solution is covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and of course, here we've touched on a key word that is a covenantal word, and that's the word for love. Yeah. To us in our world, I mean, we have so trivialized that word with as a euphemism for all sorts of other things. I love chocolate. Yeah, exactly. Really? Yeah. Or, you know, the sex act is called Mm -hmm. making love. Well, we have so divorced that act from true love Mm -hmm. that it's just a monster. Yeah. But when you look at the way this covenantal word is used in the First Testament and the equivalent In the New Testament, it changes everything. When Jesus reduced all the commands to these two, Mm -hmm. he absolutely grasped the understanding of love. Yeah. To us, love is an emotional word. It's a romantic word. Yeah. It's of music and roses and, you know, perfume and a lovely night out and Valentine's Day. Yeah. Yeah. Really, 
The, the biblical word for love, I have, it's, there, there, there are several of these, but this mm-hmm. one particularly, I have. If you understand it biblically, it is always an action word. Yeah. There's a Jewish scholar, Abraham Malamat, uh, argued that we should never translate that word in English with a single, in Hebrew, with a single English word, I mm-hmm. have to love. No, uh, love is always an action. So that my understanding of how the word is used in the First Testament is, here it is, my definition, love is covenant commitment demonstrated in action in the interest of the other person. Mm-hmm. Covenant commitment demonstrated in action in the interest of the other person. And of course, John 3, 16 jumps out at us. Yeah, right. For God was covenantally committed to the world. Yeah. And by John 3, 16, and here's where the Southern Baptist translation of the new uh, of that verse has, has got it absolutely right. It's not about how much God loves us. God loved us so much that he gave Jesus. Mm-hmm. No, it's how he loved us. Yeah. God demonstrated his love for us by giving his one and only son. Yeah. So, so that in the first testament, God demonstrates love by choosing Israel by rescuing Israel, by forgiving Mm -hmm. Israel, by giving Israel. This is all covenant commitment demonstrated in action. And of course, when you get to the New Testament, that's agapao. Absolutely. The same semantic range. Mm -hmm. Uh, I once heard a sermon on 1 Corinthians, uh, the love chapter, Mm -hmm. 13. Yeah. Uh, And he totally missed it. He, t- he kept talking about we need to be feeling lovingly towards each other. You know, why can't we just get along and, and love each other? No, the point is, if you don't demonstrate covenant love, yeah, you're a, a, a loud gong and a clanging cymbal. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so I, I think these are important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, thank you so much for just unpacking that. I think that's so so important mm. that that love mm. is because as, as you know as a pastor in a local church and mm. you know like we we cover the topic of marriage within this ministry of the union yeah. um you know and, and god's design for it we want to well, within society we want to create that that idea that love is a feeling and if and like even when i've heard some not luckily no, nobody in, in my circle or none of the weddings I've done, I would not, I would not allow this to happen, but you know, some of the, the vows that have written until like we fall, you know, I'm committed to you until we fall out of love, you know, until love shall leave us. It's like, love's already gone then. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean? it's, it's already gone. Yeah. And, and you, and you've forgotten what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think what we'll do here, we'll take a quick break and then we'll pick it up uh, just, just here in a few moments. Hey, it's Brian from The Union here, and it goes without saying, in our day, sexuality has become very, very complicated. Many followers of Christ are finding themselves with big questions about hot topic issues of gender, relationships, and sexuality, and have questions like, what is tradition? What is cultural pressure? What does actually scripture say about these areas of my life? And with this in mind, we've released an eight-session e-course for young adults called The Journey Home. It includes digitally accessed video teachings and self-reflective study guides that helps you take action steps to apply what you are learning. 
If you would like to go through the course as an individual or go through it as a group, you can find out more at courses.theunionmovement.com. All right. So we're back here with Daniel Block and we're talking about his new book, Covenant, the framework of God's grand plan of redemption. And Daniel, you've done such a great job of just unpacking um, what covenant means and God's heart behind it and God's plan of redemption and and the importance of that. It's a loving covenant. Um, I want to kind of shift now and and start to kind of carry some of this, the historical realities of God's dealings with Israel as, as a type and shadow of, of his church has called out people. Um, and, and as we look back in history, we see that Israel, you know, they were, they would be in right standing with God. They would go and worship other gods and, and all the stuff that kind of came with that, which we've talked about on this podcast before the, the sexual immorality that, that these false gods were worshiped through the perversion sacrifices, sometimes being human, which is such a crazy, crazy reality, um, of history. Um, but that always led them into a captivity of sorts that led to, you know, in Deuteronomy unpacks like the, the, especially in Deuteronomy 28 and some of 29, I think you correct me if I'm wrong, but like mm-hmm. the consequences of, of worship breaking covenant were very mm-hmm. serious and, mm-hmm. and the repercussions of that. Um, when we try to look through biblical, the biblical lens into the day that we're living in, where do you see those same consequences showing up in our day? Um, and how would you how would you unpack some of that reality now in in the time that we're living in? Well, let, let, let's start with the basics. Mm-hmm. What happened at Sinai? Mm-hmm. The first speech that the Israelites hear uh, or that Moses hears up on the mountain from God and that he passes on to the Israelites was you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, mm-hmm. how I carried you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Right. Oh, really? God did not bring Israel to the law. Right. He brought them to himself. This is the beginning of a relationship that becomes metaphorically dealt with as marriage. Mm -hmm. Now then, if you will listen to my voice, and that does not mean simply do as I say. Yeah. Because God doesn't speak only commands. God also speaks grace. Yes. The Decalogue begins. He always begins with gospel. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you myself. That's all gospel. Yeah, absolutely. Now then, if you'll keep hearing this story, listen to my voice, and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession, my holy people, uh, uh, my royal priesthood. For all the world is mine. Mm-hmm. God is entering into a covenant relationship with Israel for the sake of the mission of the world. Right. It's not about Israel. Mm-hmm. It's about Israel. It's about the world. Mm-hmm. God so loved the world that he called Israel. Right. Well, what happens at Sinai is a marriage. And, you know, from the first command already, it introduces the language of what's often translated as as jealousy. You shall not make for yourself another God, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Unfortunately, in English, that word jealous is a synonym of envy. Right, right. I am jealous of you because you're smarter than I am, or you got a better (laughs) computer, you got a nicer car than I have, whatever. Right. I am jealous of, of... No, it's not that. 
Exactly. The natural use of the word occurs once in Proverbs when he's talking about a marriage relationship. If some outside party comes and messes with my wife, I will become, what shall we say, my passion will be ignited. Yeah. That's what's at stake here. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, these days we can't usually use the word passion because that's become so sexualized. Absolutely, yeah. But it means the motion, the the fire in God's heart for His people, who He is called to relationship with Himself. Mm-hmm. So that when some outside, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. That expression occurs, I think, it's six times in the First Testament. Always in the context of idolatry, always. Right, right. Because an idol is anything that takes our focus and our devotion to God. It compromises Mm. that Mm -hmm. and it challenges that. And God, as the husband in this relationship, says, I can't tolerate that. Yeah. So in his fury, against the other gods, the, the suitors, he ultimately destroys them all. Right. But if his wife, bride, persists in that sort of idolatry, his, his passion is also ignited because he loves so deeply. If the person who is the object of his love spits in his face, mm-hmm and runs after the garbage God. Right. Ezekiel has stronger words than that. Yeah, yeah exactly. His favorite word is sheep droppings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you run after that, yeah. finally God says, fine, go ahead. Uh, I, I'm, I'm done. But the mm. great news is in Ezekiel 16, a horrific, a horrific chapter in many respects, Mm-hmm. The great news is when he entered into covenant relationship with Israel, it was an eternal covenant. Yeah. Individuals have access to it by their own decisions, but God's covenant stands. And that story of judgment cannot be the last chapter. Right. Right. So it comes back. Now, there are lots of stories in scripture that talk about the command, the great command. In the book of Judges, you have seven or eight times the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yeah. That's an unfortunate translation because it overlooks the fact that every time you have that idiom, evil has the article on it. Hmm. It's not generic evil. It is the evil. Interesting. And what's the evil? You have the commentary. They went after the Baals and the Ashtaroth and the Asherim and the gods of the Sidonians and the Ammonites. Yeah. yeah. Always. Yeah, exactly. It is, it is always the violation of the first commandment, mm-hmm. which is signifies being unfaithful in your marriage relationship with God. Mm-hmm. What happens in the book of Judges is they go through this round and round again. God in his mercy takes them back, and short time later, they're off track again. And God in his mercy brings in, I should say, in his mercy brings yeah. in the enemy. Yeah. You alluded to 
Deuteronomy 28 and 29. We need to see the covenant curses built into the covenant. Yeah. When God carries out the curses, he hasn't broken the covenant. No, that's right. He's keeping it. He Hmm. does it exactly as he said. But we should see the severity of the curses in Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 26, as a measure of the pastoral passion God feels for his people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't go there. Yeah. Don't go there. I am telling you in advance, and it's a great mercy. I am telling you in advance, if you go there, this will happen to you. So don't go there. Yeah. Yeah. If the love and favor of God don't keep you on track, Paul talks about this, mm-hmm. maybe a warning of the severity will, but it always has a pastoral intent. Yeah. And so in 586, when the nation fell, it was because after six, seven, eight hundred years of putting up with this lot of persistent idolatry and running away from him, Mm -hmm. I mean, my amazement is how can God be so patient? Yeah. (laughs) You know, we tend to think of him as an angry God, but the reason he is angry, he or he expresses anger is because his people have not received his grace and have not responded to his grace with hearts of love for him, demonstrated in fidelity to him Mm -hmm. and in in how he invites us to live. And that becomes the precondition of blessing. So uh, this is, I mean, my wife and I got married 55 years ago. Come on. That's awesome. We went, I mean, I often kid with with my students. I said, you know, when we got married in preparation for our marriage, I made up a list of three or four pages of expectations I have of her. Mm -hmm. These are the things I want you to do. And that when we get married, you sign on to do it. But of course, mine was only four or five pages. She came to me with 10 pages. This is what I need to sign up for. Of course, it's all apocryphal and it's all imaginary. When we got married, we did not sign on to a job description. Right. We signed on to a person. Yeah. And what covenant means is the interest of that person always supersedes self-interest. Yeah. Always. Yeah. And that's what love is. Absolutely. And so it, the Israelites forgot their, dare we even use the word, it's so trite these days, their lover, mm-hmm. the, the one who loved them yeah, and did so much for them. And then no, mon- no wonder their lives spiraled out of control. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And especially when you look in the prophets, like they, the prophets don't shy away from using that language that like that of adultery that you've gone and you've joined another lover under under the trees up on the high places you know you've gone and you've joined especially like jeremiah just lays that out so strongly yes um as we as we look now like as we live we live in a new covenant time Mm -hmm. how does that carry into the new covenant that jesus has made like that those because those things haven't changed like i think sometimes people misinterpret jesus taking on the curse of the law to means that there's now no more consequences 
for breaking that covenant. And so how, how do you lay that out now in the, the new covenant perspective? Well, I, I have a couple of things to say to this. One, if you look in the book and you tr- track the plot, one of the key arguments I make is that the new covenant in Jeremiah mm-hmm. is not a new covenant. Right. Nothing is new here except all. They will all know right. me. They will all experience forgiveness of sins. They will all have the Torah in their hearts. Mm. There have always been those individuals who've had this. But what happens here is finally, in the new covenant, people from the inside out are, is, it's a very parochial text, Israelites from the inside out are yes. living out what God started with Abraham and then built at Sinai, and it climaxes in Jeremiah's new covenant. Now, what happens in the New Testament is that that's what happens to us. Mm -hmm. When we are grafted into this grand program of redemption, Paul in Romans 9, 10, and 11, their covenant becomes our covenant, and that which was true for the believers then becomes true for us made possible, of course, through Christ. Any merciful act of God is based on the work of Christ. Yeah. Any act. And so, covenant relationship with him is all based on, and what Christ does for us is exactly the same thing he did for Abel, David, Isaiah, Josiah, They experience the same grace, but we also need to remember that the call to fidelity in response to grace, this is not legalism. No. Nor is it just moralism. This is living a life of worship in response to the gift of God's grace. And if you want a New Testament text, that is the equivalent of Deuteronomy 28, mm-hmm. John 15 is the text. Right, right. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Any branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Mm-hmm. Any branch in me that does not bear fruit, he cuts it off, lets it dry, and throws it into the fire. Yeah. That is Deuteronomy 28. Yeah. But then in that same context, when he's talking about what does fruit mean in that same context, it will be stuff like, if you love me, Mm -hmm. tell me. No. 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 Keep my commandments. Yeah. Nobody in the Bible ever says to God, I love you. Right. Not once with that word, not once. Jesus asked it of Peter, but he changed the word. Right. And in the end, Jesus granted Peter, you're using the right word for you, because if you had claimed the other, it would be a lie. He had just betrayed him three times. Yeah. But love is not demonstrated in Valentine cards or roses or chocolates or whatever. It's demonstrated in action in the interests of the other person. Yeah. Nothing has changed from the First Testament. Nothing has changed on that count. 
The call to covenant relationship is a call to a life of joy. Yeah. In what God has granted us, we are heirs, eternal heirs of the eternal heritage that he's, and we start, we get to start enjoying it here. Mm -hmm. Ah, but if you love me, yeah, yeah, don't don't tell me, show me. Yeah. And I think uh, in the absence of, on your podcast or on your church service this morning, I heard you talk about Calvinists who say, uh, if, if, if you are not justified right. and don't demonstrate it with your sanctified state, there yeah. are questions about your claim. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, by their fruits, Jesus yeah. knows them. Yeah. It is not irrelevant. No, exactly. So that if we call people to live godly lives, this is not legalism. This is a plea to respond to the grace of God who has revealed his will so clearly. You know what pleases him. Yeah. And the interesting thing is what what pleases him is always in your interest too. Exactly. Yeah. That's the, that's the bonus and and but we lose we lose sight of that don't we yeah we well i think something i've often said too is like that god doesn't give us his commandments to ruin our fun you know what i mean absolutely not he's absolutely. he's not some sort of cosmic killjoy you know what i mean that just he actually lovingly gives us his instruction because he knows us better than we know ourselves you know and and he he wants to invite us into this real abundant life that jesus has purchased for us well, and, and he invites us to a life of celebration. Mm -hmm. This is Psalm 23. Yeah. In the presence of my enemies, you prepare a table. Yeah. So good. And so you true. invite me to live with you the rest of all the days. I mean, mm -hmm. th this is what he calls us to. And if we have experienced that, we will demonstrate it in a life of joyful service for him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Unlike what we did as teenagers with my dad, would ever ask me to do something. I would often say, do I have to? Yeah. Exactly. Can't my brother? Why me? Yeah. <laughs> that is so adolescent. Right. But many of us never get beyond that point in our mm. relationship with God. Wow. Our question shouldn't be, do I have to? It should be, is this all you ask? Wow. Wow. After all you've done for me, mm. you ask so little. Wow. That, that's the response of covenant love response. Mm. Man, mm. that's such a good point, Daniel. <laughs> that's mm. such a great statement. Mm. So true. Mm. So true. I, th I think just in maybe just in closing and, and you, you mentioned it, this, this aspect of fidelity, yeah. you know, that, that, you know, there was even a point too in the first, the first covenant or first Testament where God's like, I'm just so tired of your, your festivals and your, you know, your celebrations and these yeah. solemn assemblies that you're doing. It's like, yeah. I want your heart, you know? And, and I think just, and he, he's not, he's not wanting people with their arms twisted. You know what I mean? That like, oh, I'm here by obligation. It's like, he wants real genuine hearts to follow him. Absolutely. And, and how, what do you, what would you say to somebody who is in that place, maybe where they're feeling, they're feeling the obligation, you know, right. I'm following God just, because yeah. I, I don't know what else to do, or 
or maybe they're they're claiming allegiance to Jesus and following Jesus, but that fidelity is not there. They're living for a bunch of other things. What would you say to that person? How do they get back into that right standing that and in, and in experiencing the reality of the new covenant that God has made? Well, I think for the person who walks with God, there is no greater delight than to pleasing God. Mm-hmm. And so we need to pray to the Lord to reveal his will more clearly and to give us a hunger and a thirst Mm -hmm. after the righteousness that he has given us in the scriptures. Yeah. And that as we read them, we would not just read laws as laws, Mm -hmm. but we would always read them as law law in the light of gospel start with the decalogue it starts with gospel i am yahweh your god who brought you out of the land of egypt out of the house of slavery yeah where would you be if it hadn't been for me doing this for you you'd be Mm -hmm. in egypt making bricks without straw yeah but here you are so that the response he asks is so reasonable so modest, but it is so total. Yeah. Love the Lord your God with all your inner being, with all your body, with everything devoted to the everything that has your name on it. Yeah. Devoted to God, nothing left over for any other gods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's I think, that's I think the 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 passion, the, the hunger we need to pray for. Yeah. Lord, show show me what pleases you. It's not like he hasn't revealed it. We should mm-hmm. say, open my eyes yeah. to what you have revealed of your grace mm-hmm. and your will and transform my heart. Yeah, that's so good. love doing it. <laughs> that's so good. Well, Danny, thank you so much for just for just sharing so freely with us and just opening in your heart and really giving some, giving some great biblical perspective and really, I, I just think, you know, I'm taking so much out of this conversation. Uh, yeah. My heart's so full right now, to be honest, but like um, just reminding, re- remembering again, the faithfulness of God, you know, remembering all throughout history, he's seen the ups and downs of humanity, the wanderings of humanity, yet he has stayed faithful and that opportunity yeah. to come back into right standing with with God through Jesus is always available for us. Always. And um, and even like if you're listening to this today and, and you've you've heard this and you've realized, man, I'm I'm not living in covenant. I'm I'm living in a me-centered uh idea or or philosophy or humanistic kind of way of, of existence. Uh, I encourage you today step into this covenant with God through Jesus by trusting in his finished work, trusting mm. in the blood that's been shed uh, in writing the new covenant for us. It's, it's written in, in God's own blood uh, mm-hmm. through Jesus. So Daniel, thank you again. Um, we wish you all the best. How can people uh, get, get a copy of covenant, uh, your book covenant, and how can they stay in touch with you? Well, uh, my I, I am a retired professor from Wheaton College, so if they can remember that, I, I'm still on the website. If they look up emeritus faculty, I'm still okay. there. So there's there there is an email address there that they can get. Sure. Uh, the book, of course, is available on through Amazon. All In right. fact, if if you look at Amazon, they have they have 
produced for anybody exploring my whole introduction to the book mm -hmm. and the first bits and, yeah. and it'll it'll give people an idea of where my heart is in this yeah yeah, yeah. well it's a great it's honestly a great study tool and yeah. the way yeah. you've just built upon layer upon layer it's just yeah. is so great i think it's going to be a blessing to anybody who who picks it up so again thank you so much daniel we appreciate you and wish you all the best moving forward Thank you, sir. And may the Lord bless your ministry richly for his praise and for the, the building up of his church. Yeah. Thank you so much. God be with you. Thanks for listening to the Union Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at podcast at theunionmovement.com. For more information, please visit our website, theunionmovement.com, or find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Union Movement.